0: Moving on to the second part of the schematic English literary anti-Semitism and this is obviously a field that you've studied literature and all the PhD in what is particular about English literary anti-Semitism
1: um, well in a sentence that so much of it is really uh, interesting and of very considerable aesthetic value so that's a bit of a that's a bit of a of a of a paradox because we associate anti-semitic with everything that is trashy and worthless hate speech Um, and we associate uh, uh, literature with everything that is fine and most elevated um, art speech so the the thought that art speech can also be hate speech that the, that the fine can also be the crass that the life enhancing can also be the life- denying um, it's it's kind of hard to, to think through um, and just as uh, uh, what is so striking about medieval English anti-Semitism is, among the other things that I've listed, is its innovative quality. So what is striking about um, English literary anti-Semitism is the exceptionally high aesthetic standard of its uh, uh, principal texts uh, uh, and, and authors. Chaucer, uh, Marlowe, Shakespeare um, and so on, Dickens, extraordinary, uh, world-class literary geniuses, contributing their masterpieces, their anti-Semitic masterpieces, to a, uh, if you like, an anti-Semitic um, literary canon. So that that really uh, interested me. I mean I I, my interest in anti-Semitism is uh thin. Um I, I remember uh, uh in Jerusalem once at a conference talking with the with the late uh, lamented Robert Wistridge, very considerable um uh, scholar, historian of anti-Semitism, committed his whole life to the study of the the phenomenon in all its complexity and diversity, and master of languages, and a person capable of impressive sympathies, um of for history and, and thought. And he said to me, um, You know, Anthony, um, we have to admit it, don't we? Anti-Semitism, however awful it is, is just is just fascinating. And we then had a discussion where essentially I was holding to the position that there is actually nothing interesting about anti-Semitism. (laughs) And he was arguing the opposite. For me, the interest of anti-Semitism and I I know I'm taking a tangent but I have... The interest of anti-Semitism is threefold. First of all, and principally, because um, uh, we have to engage with it defensively when it threatens our peace of mind or our well-being. We have no choice. Um, secondly, because it's an application of the great Saul Lieberman principle, Saul Lieberman, the Talmud, Chacham, and, um, the kind of great, uh, uh, figure in um, uh, uh, in American Jewish uh, scholarship said um, rubbish is rubbish but the study of rubbish can be scholarship so even though anti-Semitism is is itself rubbish the study of anti-Semitism that can be scholarship in the sense that uh, that it can be worthwhile intellectually worthwhile engaging so that's the second reason I'm not completely convinced but, um, there is something in it, and the third reason is through antisemitism, through the study of anti-Semitism, you can get to address other questions which have actually got nothing to do with anti-Semitism but are interesting in their own terms. for example, um, the question of um, the way in which um, works of very considerable aesthetic merit can at the same time embrace very objectionable political positions. And I think that's I mean, terribly interesting um, because it's, it's so counterintuitive and good scholarship, I think comes out of a recognition of the uh, counterintuitive truth of certain things. So um what drove my interest in writing about English history anti-Semiticism first in my book on T.S. Alice, my originally my PhD, and then in that chapter in Charles the Diaspora was this question. How to how to work through the uh, the English uh, anti Semitic literary canon in a way that that grappled with this coexistence of high quality and uh, awful politics. Um, the, 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 so to your question, the, the, at last, the, the, the particular line that I took, the, the, the particular theme that I, uh, uh, uh found in English uh, literary antisemitism and that gave coherence to it, or continues to give coherence to it, is the, the blood libel. Um, but the blood libel um, in, um, in, in, a, in a particular form of a, a series of narratives about how the awful plottings of Jews uh, uh, are defeated. Um, and I've suggested that that kind of uh, um, triumphant uh, version of the blood libel, where the where the in the end the the, the kind of the Christian uh, prevails, uh, the energy for that kind of writing came from a very strong sense of um, in English culture generally that the Jews had been defeated. The expulsion of the Jews uh, was a demonstration. Of their essential powerlessness, and so what English literature was able to do was to uh, combine, uh, on the one hand, um, the um, the kind of the literary potential in these stories of uh, Christians being uh, uh, kidnapped uh, by Jews, tortured, or whatever, it goes right through, for example, to sort of a twist. Um, Fagin essentially kidnaps and uh, uh, preys upon Oliver until Fagin himself is apprehended and executed and executed for no obvious uh, capital crime, by the way. Um, That, but informed by the sense that in the end, the Jew will be defeated. So it's a kind of it's a kind of optimistic version of the blood libel from the from the uh, uh, enemy point of view, and that that's so interesting. And and that optimism is also what enables the kind of the the creativity, I think, which in turn generates the originality of address. I
0: would like to get to some some. Yeah few examples that, that you brought in the book. We, we had um, interviewed more recently a biographer on Ernest Hemingway. And uh-huh. it was clear to her that the character, the Jewish character that he put into the book was clearly a function, was a friend of his, but was clearly a function of anti-Semitism. On the other hand, we did do an interview on Chaucer. And the, oh, yeah. that, that we that we interviewed made the claim, not a hundred percent, that one could look at what was written by Chaucer as just an expression, because there are so many different voices that Chaucer presented, a multitude of voices. That voice just represented what was happening in reality at the time, and really wasn't anti-Semitism. So. Necessarily anti-Semitic. So, again, some examples, perhaps, that will, might resonate with, with the audience. And um, what, well, sure, sure. what kinds of works are incorrectly designated as anti-Semitic, in your opinion?
1: Well, I mean, there are always, there, there are always two arguments that are used. Um, in relation to works that, where there's a kind of prima facie case that they're anti-Semitic. The first argument is um, this is this, the work is not anti-Semitic in itself, it's, it's showcasing anti-Semitism. Um, and sometimes the, in, the, in the stronger version of that, it's showcasing anti-Semitism in order to expose it. Um, and then the second argument is well, even if it is anti Semitic, that's not an interesting thing to say about it because everyone was anti Semitic in those days. And so um, talking about its anti Semitism would be like talking about the kind of way in which the work was published. You know, or the way in which the, the work was bound or the quality of the paper that it was printed on. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an irrelevant detail to do with the, um, state of the culture or in my analogy, the kind of state of the printing technology. Um, and is, and, and says nothing therefore about anything of specific interest in the work itself. So that's the second argument. Um, uh, uh, first of all, in relation to the first argument, of course it, it could be uh, that in one or other case uh, anti Semitism is showcased maybe to be critiqued. Um, and the obvious example of that is in Ulysses, in, in Joyce's great novel Ulysses. Um, or in some of Robert Browning's, uh, poems. In other cases, I don't think it's possible to say that, um, a hotly contested, uh, uh text in this argument, of course, is the most to venice. Um, I take one position on it. Other serious people take another position on it. Um, and there it is. Um, as far as the second and um, what is your position on the Merchant My position is it's an anti-Semitic okay. Um uh, In fact, my position is that that, that the Merchant of Venice um, reanimated literary anti-Semitism um, at, uh, at a time when it was at risk of just being laughed out of existence by the I- extravagant and uh, comic genius of Christopher Marlowe, and the Jew Morton. Um the the um the second argument that that the that the anti-Semitism is is the is the uninteresting bit about the work, that it simply reflects its times. Um I think the answer to that is is in two parts. The first is that literature never only reflects, it always also adds. Um, and so even if you think that there is a strong continuity between a literary text and the, if you like, the climate of the times, it is still worth asking to what extent the text added to that climate Um, and the second part is actually there isn't there hasn't a time even in the Middle Ages, but certainly not at any time thereafter when a Neutral, if not philosemitic, stance towards the Jews uh, w- was not possible. Well, sorry, to just just to recast that ugly double negative oh. sentence. Um, it has always been possible to be a friend of the Jews or to be indifferent to them. The idea that there is a uniform climate, a kind of uh, ideological conformity on the subject of the Jews. Actually, doesn't stand up to empirical inquiry. So that's the uh, second part of my uh, answer.
0: Going now to the to the next stage in the uh, four-part schematic. What is the period that you would define as modern English anti-Semitism?
1: It's essentially the the, the period from the the kind of uh, dribbling, kind of slow. Uh, arrival of Jews um in the um, second half of the seventeenth century and beyond through to the period up to maybe up to the, the six-day war in nineteen sixty seven but I mean it's not it's not like it's not like a period defined by the um by the accession to the throne and the death of a of a monarch, where you can say it was started on that day and it ended on on that day, um, it's essentially an anti-Semitism of condescension. It has the same kind of qualities of self confidence, um, an absence of fear, um, that again feeds off the the energy of the of medieval anti-Semitism. Um, that the 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 English knew that they had defeated the the, the, the to speak the Jewish enemy in twelve ninety, and so when the Jews came back, they came back uh, as a as a defeated people, um, and certainly not of a character to threaten any central interests on the part of the uh, of the English. A tremendous, I mean. England, Britain, in this case, going through this extraordinary 200, 300 year period of expansion, imperial assertion, global uh, assertion. Um, so, um, that, that anti-Semitism was, uh, uh, was coexistent with, um, a uh, uh, uh life for Jews, which in, in, in essential respects was, um, one that could be, um, uh, lived with a pretty strong sense of peace and, and security. Um, yes, there were uh, quotas. Yes, there were limitations, um, on Jewish participation in public life, um, membership of clubs, attendance at schools, universities, and so on. These were uh, restricted and had to be addressed one by one. Um, Ugly, painful battles, uh, sometimes successful, sometimes not. But overall, the forward movement was towards greater and greater um, acceptance, less and less condescension, less and less, uh, uh, more and more diluted uh, uh, social contempt. Um so that during this extended period, this uh three hundred odd year period, um it was it was to the great good fortune of any Jew that he or she was born and lived in England. <laughs> and it's really important really important that one should recognise that. To to contextualize the anti-Semitism of that period in that way, it
0: wasn't it? Wasn't Russia? It wasn't
1: uh... no, no, it wasn't Russia, but it but it, it was also its own thing. It was a country in it, 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 it which it, which found a kind of uh, national identity in the practice of certain virtues of tolerance, uh, freedom of expression, and and uh freedom of religious worship, and so. on. Which therefore was of benefit to the Jews.
0: Are good examples of this, of personalities like Israeli, converted as an infant, but rises to be prime minister, but yet faces anti Semitism? Rothschild, who tries to become a member of parliament, hobnobs with whoever he hobnobs with, but still faces. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, sure. Sure. I mean, I, just to take my own case. When I, when I, um, uh, when I sat exams to, to, um, to, to, uh, uh, apply to, to join my private school, which in England are confusingly called public schools, um, uh, I was given what was called a reserved place because there was a Jewish quota. And, um, it, uh, I, I, my parents were told that if, um, if another Jewish boy dropped out, then I would be allowed in, which they had just accepted. It was, you know, that was, you know, part of the weather. Um, when I, when I was thinking about uh, applying to law firms after university, um, I was told, "Well, don't bother to apply to this firm or that firm because they don't take Jews, or if they do take Jews, then no Jew will ever become a partner, or if some Jews become partners there, it's a much, it's a, it's a much steeper and uh, taller hill to climb for Jews than for others." So, um, the um, and I mean one just. One just accepted again; that was that was the way it was. Um, I think now, even now, in my own lifetime, uh, in, in in those respects, things have got um, better. But they were they improved from what was already a high standard of acceptance and tolerance.
0: Going now to the fourth leg um, of the schematic. Uh, Is there legitimate Zionism that is not anti-Semitism? You mean anti-Zionism? Yes, correct.
1: Um, Well, I was reading Fackenheim, Emil Fackenheim, uh, the other day, who said after the Holocaust, there is no respectable anti-Zionism. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be so, so categoric. Uh, it depends what one understands by Zionism. So, for example, you could say, and it has been said, um, and I think about someone like, I mean, as so far as I understand this position, someone like Bernard Avishai, for example, serious, uh, thoughtful, uh, uh, I wouldn't say to a writer, in, Jewish, Israeli affairs. You could say Zionism has uh, uh, played out. Um, it's uh, the, the the energy of Zionism was in, uh, became in establishing a state, um, and um, the ambition for uh, Israel now is not um, is not really to be understood in Zionist terms. It's better to be understood. In liberal democratic terms, Israel Israel needs to needs to uh, uh, develop along now along liberal democratic lines, and insofar as it still cleaves to a Zionist identity, that identity is um, uh, uh, not the Zionist identity of the. The new Yeshuv, the Labour Zionist, um, uh Z- Labour Zionist with David Gurion and, mm-hmm. and so on. But it's the kind of greater Israel redemptionist, messianic, pseudo-messianic, Gush style settler ideology, which is so so I maybe Avishai would say he's a post-Zionist in relation to Labour Zionism, he's an anti-Zionist in relation to Gush Zionism. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I think you know one has to be so careful. I, 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 I was—I've been involved for years now in anti-academic boycott work, and what's so striking—I mean, among other things about it—is the really low intellectual level that this work is. I mean, the academic boycott uh, arguments are conducted at um dismal and and i infer from that something of the moral quality of the academic boycott case you know that they can't formulate it in ways that are intellectually coherent they can't demonstrate why um it's reasonable to argue a case for the academic boycott of Israeli universities and yet not of other universities. They can't get over the problem of their inability to universalise whatever principle they apply to Israel, for example. And it seems to me really important that people on our side should not be similarly stupid in our in our reasoning that 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 it, it, you know it matters and i don't think it's just my own kind of uh, intellectual academic deformation when i say this it matters that we should not just be right but we should be intelligently correct and so i think making these distinctions really matters and uh, usually uh, a broad brush thinking broad brush writing um is inaccurate writing it blurs critical boundaries the great principle of uh jewish reasoning lehavdil make the distinctions
0: mm-hmm.
1: is an obligation in jewish politics as much as in um Talmudic reasoning so um the answer to your question is yes i can absolutely conceive of a non-anti Semitic anti-Zionism of the kind that I just described a few moments ago, which is not to say that most of what passes for anti-Zionism isn't even in fact anti-Zionism, but is just a kind of hatred of Jews and Jewish
0: assertion. Is that what's driving the BDS movement?
1: Um no, I think I think the BDS movement, the largest part of the BDS movement. Is, is a kind of, um, it's a kind of zombie post-left, um, which is looking for, um, a cause, or a, a cause, a credible enemy. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's failure to actually understand what it's indeed arguing for. I mean, what is the BDS position? What, what, what would, what, what would what would a BDS person say in answer to the question? When when under what circumstances would a BDS campaign no longer be appropriate? Is it if uh, Israel returns to um, three sixty seven uh, borders? Many BDSs might say yes. I think. The, most BDSs would say no. I don't know. So, so, so then the question is, well, what actually more do you want? Do you want a Palestinian state from the river to the sea? What about the Israeli Jews in that state? Um, and if the answer is, well, you know, we don't care. Then I think, um, you get into a kind of insouciance about Jewish life. Which is very difficult to separate from more active and aggressive forms of Jew hatred, which correctly pass under the name of anti Semitism.
0: Final question. The state of anti Semitism in England today, the dangers, and what can and should be done to combat that anti Semitism?
1: I'm very proud of the fact that we we uh, uh, contributed. Um, we didn't cause, uh, but we contributed to the um, defeat of Jeremy uh, Corbyn. Uh, Jeremy Corb, the Jeremy Corbyn movement inside the, the Labour Party. Corbyn um, was a danger to Jews, and the Jewish community proved completely adequate in identifying that danger and confronting it. Um, so I think that um, uh, we have uh, much to be proud of. And uh, in consequence of that success, I think um, life is a little easier for Jews uh, now
0: than it was even a few years ago. Again, this has been fascinating. Uh, Anthony Julius... Trials of the Diaspora. And uh, I urge all our listeners and viewers, as I did, to go onto Amazon and purchase the book. And uh, as the analysis here, as um, Julius has, has uh, commented, um, requires really a sober, calculated analysis, uh, uh, intellectually strong, and powerful in order to understand the subject and to hopefully be able to better deal with the subject of anti-Semitism. Thank you again so much. We appreciate your time. I really admire
1: the work that you're doing, Ari, if I may say so. And thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you.
0: Thank you. And uh, enjoy your visit to Israel. Perhaps we'll be in touch.
1: That would be very nice. All the best. Bye-bye.